Tomorrow is President's Day, okay? Now, just a little bit of history on President's Day. Uh, President's Day was not always called President's Day. In fact, uh, it was historically always celebrated on February 22nd because on February 22nd, 1732, George Washington was born. And so uh, there was a season of over 100 years in our nation where February 22nd was celebrated as a holiday, uh, especially on the federal calendar, to recognize the leadership and the direction of George Washington, our first president in the United States of America. And then in, uh, the, in I think it was 1971, uh, there was a the Monday holiday bill or Monday holiday act was uh, passed and the idea was to move holidays to Mondays so that people could have three-day weekends and so we could bolster the economy by encouraging people to do more traveling right and this was their idea behind it and at the time uh, they also felt like that you had all of these birthdays for the presidents that different states wanted to recognize, they all evidently kind of land pretty close together. And so you had Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln and different states wanted to recognize different presidents. And so uh, it kind of kept kind of getting compiled into this one uh, holiday. And on the federal uh, uh, recognition, it is to this day actually not called President's Day. It is called George Washington Day. And, uh, but because of all of these other presidents wanting to be recognized, uh, you actually had uh, businesses that started throwing out the term President's Day. And then today, that's really all most of us know anything about. But uh, uh, it is a day to recognize a group of men and women that fought to make sure this nation was never a democracy. I just want to throw that out there real quick so that you are fully aware the United States of America is not a democracy. These men, these women spoke adamantly about the incredible perils a democracy creates on humanity. And so they went with a republic, all right? Now, today is not the lesson on the difference between the two. Maybe that'll spark some interest in you and you'll want to go and look up like, okay, so we're not a democracy. So when people say, oh, this is how democracy dies, man, George Washington wanted democracy to die a long time ago, okay? All right? That's just the, the reality of the founding fathers, okay? Now, the, 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 the idea that I want to kind of do to help tie maybe some thoughts into the way you kind of operate tomorrow is I want to talk about the fact that our culture right now is in what I'm calling an avalanche of chaos, right? And, and you might think to yourself, like, well, what does that look like? Well, this is what it looks like. Men compete in women's sports. An American chose to compete in the Olympics representing China, Okay, problematic. Why? Because we have a culture that talks about like all of these different race issues and slavery and and then we're okay with supporting a nation that still today practices slavery and 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 yet they are championed by world leaders as having a great economy and we should look to China and that, that's pretty problematic, right, if we're going to talk about treating people humanely. Uh, love and tolerance uh, are the motto of a people who rarely practice it. Uh, politics and news agencies are riddled with sex scandals. Apologies are ignored outside of the tribe, right? So if you're in the tribe and you've done something wrong, you can say, I'm sorry, and everybody's like, oh, man, 
no problem. But if you're outside of the tribe and you're not uh, a part of the narrative and you've done something wrong and you come out and go, man, I shouldn't have done that. It's too bad, right? You, there, there's no, there's no uh, apology that's going to be accepted. And there is enormous disrespect for the accomplishments and sacrifices of those that came before us. Uh, there's a, a sweet lady that lives in the neighborhood here that um, uh, we uh, minister to uh, since COVID. She hasn't been able to come, but uh, we take groceries to her. We go and visit. And one time, uh, several months ago, she just broke down crying and said that uh, she's an elderly lady, and she said that it's, it, she feels so disrespected because she worked so hard in her life to bring change and uh, even in her own family, they act like her life is pointless. She did nothing. She made no value. No, she added no value to society. And then at the end of the day, everything is either too political or not outspoken enough, right? So right now, you may be going, man, Pastor Jim, you're touching on stuff I don't think the pastor should be talking about. But I can promise you that if you want to come and have that conversation with me, it's fine. Somebody else is wanting to have a conversation with me about, Jim, why'd you hold back? You weren't political enough, right? So there isn't a, a middle ground that I have that I can stand on that makes everybody happy at the end of the day and in the midst of it all there is a billion dollar industry around becoming a better leader a billion dollar industry around becoming a better leader so the same people that breed the chaos talk about the chaos invest in the chaos they are running their leadership courses left and right right you have preachers you have authors you have coaches Right? You have congressmen who, who run leadership courses. You've got professors, CEOs, celebrities, and, and the term influencers, right? Uh, oh, I'm not really a celebrity, but, you know, I'm on TikTok. I'm an influencer, right? And if you want to learn how to be a TikTok influencer, just join my class on leadership. I'll show you how to be a better leader tomorrow, right? And they all gain a cult-like following with their... I just made these up, 10 trick shots to a successful leader, right? Or how to make others follow you, right? Like when I see a title like that, I'm thinking to myself, like, isn't that just bondage and enslaving, make them follow you? Uh, uh, John Maxwell, who is one of the guys that does a lot of leadership stuff, he says that um, if you consider yourself a leader and you look around and nobody's there, right, you're just on a walk, you know? Um, and then my favorite is the ones that are things like don't, don't give a blank and become a leader. What's that blank? It's always some type of profanity. I, I take my kids into Barnes and Noble and I tell them, you know, there's the little section in the middle where all of the highlighted books are, right? And I tell them, I say, there's one of, there, you can write a book on one of three topics and you're guaranteed to get noticed and get your books out here. On the occult, right? On some type of gender studies uh, issue, or you just throw profanity into the title and boom, everyone wants this book, right? You've dropped the F-bomb right there on the title and it's like, oh my goodness, I have got to get a copy of this book. And I'll say this to them and then we go into Barnes & Noble and we go regularly. I love Barnes & Noble. I don't, I, you know, they're running their business the way they do, but my kids see it every time we walk in. It's like, oh yeah, you're right, dad. All these books fall into these three categories over and over and over. And I'd like to suggest that the reason we are in this culture avalanche of chaos is because we have too many pseudo-leaders and not enough true leaders. So I wanted to do a message on leadership today, but I really want to talk about the, the, the I really want to help identify that there is a culture issue within leadership. This is not like the society that we live in is not just like something that's just wild and out of control on its own own, there are leaders that are actually carrying the momentum that is bringing this chaos. And this, I believe, is per perpetuated by broken identities. 
People don't know who they really are. So people do not see themselves the way that God sees them. Okay? Now, this is an imperative as a child of God. I, I, I genuinely believe this. If you don't see who you are in Christ, right, you are not going to be capable of leading others. Okay? Because what you're going to do is become a pseudo leader and you're going to be taking people into a path that ultimately leads to destruction. This is why I refuse to partner with groups that stand against Christianity. I don't care what the cause is because in the end, I understand eternity is what is, is, is hinging on it all. Not whether or not they like me or what, you know, what it looks like in a year from now. If they don't know Jesus, eternity is at risk. So it matters that we know who we are and we help people to understand who they are. Some of these identities that I think we kind of... Uh, uh, some of the categories we fall into in our, in our nation and probably a good percentage of the world, uh, I've just kind of come up with titles for these. The individual, I find my deepest desires, and that determines who I am. I got to do what's best for me. I got to be true to me. This mindset that I, whatever it is that, that I find in me, that is my self-discovery, and now I'm going to just be whatever's going on deep down inside of me. So I determine how I feel, and therefore I determine who I am. You have the oppressed. I'm not white. I'm not male. I'm not straight, etc. whatever it is. So I can, so, so I am marginalized. Life is harder for me because I am different. Uh, I love the, the, I'm not like other girls, you know. Uh, my, my daughter and I joke about this all the time, this like, you know, well, I'm just very different because I'm not like other girls, you know. Uh, and, it's, and, and I'm not saying that these things don't exist. I'm not saying that people don't, are not marginalized. I'm not saying that people don't have feelings inside of themselves, right, that don't seem to make sense. You have the, the, the progressive. Um, I know best. They just need to do what they're told because we are more educated than them. And you would say, well, where's that at? And I literally heard that on the news this week, an anchor saying, like, people just need to do what we're telling them to do because we're more educated. We know better than they do. And I thought to myself, like, that's crazy talk, right? Uh, and then you have the nationalists, right? These are, you're not a real American unless you're a Christian, and it's my job to protect America. Like, these are all, every one of these, these are, these are broken identities. They're not biblical identities, okay? And you, you might feel like, you know, in this moment, like, ooh, well, that one's kind of touchy because I, kind of, I kind of identify that way or I kind of think that way or I kind of see things that way. But you're not going to find biblical evidence to support walking around saying, this is who I am, right? And what we want to do or we should want to do as Christians is to represent Scripture in a faithful way and have the identity that Christ wants us to have. So, is a leader measured by the car they drive, the places they vacation, the size of their congregation, or the number of followers they have, or by who they know? 100% yes. In this culture, hands down, that is how we identify leaders. And you might think to yourself, well, Pastor Jim, we're in church, and we all know better than that, you know. But if we were outside of church, that is exactly what determines who a leader is. That's who gets invited to come and speak at the big conference. That's who's going to be in the year-end review on YouTube. That's who's going to come to a congressional meeting and have a voice. It is going to be a popularity contest. Should it be? No, it should not be, right? But why would we expect it to be any different in the world around us? Because Jesus told us, when they come at you, remember, they came at me first, right? When they persecute you, they persecuted me first. So addressing these issues always brings the playground bullies out, right? 
And uh, I got to tell you, like, I have a personal, intimate knowledge of what a playground bully looks like. I was this really chubby kid who uh, I wore glasses. And uh, when, when I was a kid, wearing glasses was like a death sentence. You were four eyes, something was wrong with you. My, uh, uh, I'm sure my mom's watching right now. My mom loved floral print. And so I had a couple of floral print shirts, right? That um, I, I, I had the opportunity to wear to school, right? So, so there were many times where I was made fun of relentlessly. And uh, I'll be honest with you. Like, I look at, at, at bullies today, and my wife says, man, I, you don't do well when bullies show up on the scene. I don't do well. I see a bully, and I just see somebody who is toxic, and I, I just want to stand up to him. Because what I learned in the eighth grade was when I was being bullied was if I stood up, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to respond when they were sitting there pushing me, and I turned around and bucked my chest up and said, no. What? What do you mean, no? Right? And, and so as you, as you learn to do that, you have to learn how to, if, if you're going to learn how to have your voice, you've got to learn how to stand up against bullies. And the reality is they are bullies. And, and this is probably the, the, the craziest thing in our society right now, but I talk about redefining the terms all the time, right? They, they, these bullies strip away the meanings of words and they create slurs out of them. And so it's every ism and ist that's out there that's just thrown out and it's like dude you don't even know me right and you're throwing these words around and that's the culture that we live in so the question is how do we identify true leaders okay well i'm going to argue that we do it by their identities so i want to do a quick case study and then we're going to look at some scripture let's look at george washington for a moment this is somebody that i believe was a great leader right and evidently a lot of people thought that he was a great leader so much so that since the uh, since his death, people have recognized his birthday as a day to take and remember the sacrifices in the life that he lived. Uh, listen to this quote from a pastor. His Excellency General Washington rode around among his army yesterday and admonished each and every one to fear God, to put away the wickedness that has set in and become so general and to practice the Christ Christian virtues. From all appearances, this gentleman does not belong to the so-called world of society, for he respects God's word, believes in the atonement through Christ, and bears himself in humility and gentleness. Therefore, the Lord God has also singularly, yea, marvelously preserved him from harm in the midst of countless perils. Uh, ambuscades, which means ambushes, fatigues, etc., and has hitherto graciously held him in his hand as a chosen vessel. That was the Reverend Henry Muhlenberg, okay? So uh, we're in the American Revolution. He's riding around, meeting with different people, and this guy says, he comes in, and what is he doing? He's telling people, don't live like the world, serve Jesus, right? In the midst of it all. Uh, he would be quoted as saying, I do not think myself equal to the command I am honored with. So George Washington accepting the unanimous appointment to command the soon-to-be the soon-to-be created Continental Army at the suggestion of John Adams. And on the occasion, Adams wrote to his wife explaining how Congress elected the modest and virtuous, the amiable, generous, and brave George Washington and solemnly proclaimed that the liberties of America depend upon him. And at the first inauguration, it was decided the president would pledge the following, okay? 
So I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Now, when George Washington did this, right, he added, so help me God, and then proceeded to reverently bow down and kiss the Bible, right, did this publicly. So I, I would make the argument that there was a Christian value to George Washington, right? His identity was in Christ, so he did not have an issue standing there before soldiers and saying, above all else, serve Jesus, right? He had no issue being elected into the highest office in the land, standing there and giving respect to Jesus. Let's talk about Thomas Jefferson for a moment, okay? In his later years, when asked by a mother to write a letter giving advice to her newborn son, whom she named Thomas Jefferson, as to the best values by which to live life, he responded with this letter. Your affectionate mother requests that I would address to you as a namesake something which might have a favorable influence on the course of life you have to run. Few words are necessary with good dispositions on your part. Adore God. Reverence and cherish your parents. Love your neighbor as yourself and your country more than life. Be just, be true. Murmur not at the ways of providence and the life into which you have entered will be one of eternal and ineffable bliss. Now, he says, and if to the dead it is permitted to care for the things of this world, every action of your life will be under my regard. Farewell. Years later, Andrew Jackson passed through the town where the young boy lived. His mother presented the letter to him and asked him to add any advice uh, to what Thomas Jefferson uh, had given. Now, this is just a, a little image. I wanted you to see the letter. You can look these things up online. I'm actually going to have sources in the description when the final version of today's message goes up. But he says, uh, Jackson says, I can add nothing to the admirable advice given to, this, to his son by that virtuous patriot and enlightened statesman. Thomas Jefferson, the precious relic which he sent to the young child, contains the purest morality and in, inculcates the noblest sentiments. He says, I can only recommend a rigid adherence to them. They will carry him through life safely and respectably and what is far better it says that they will he said they will carry him through death triumphantly and we may humbly trust they will secure to all who in principle and practice adopt them that crown of immortality described in the holy scriptures right so what is it about these leaders there's a consistency in their identity as leaders they are followers of christ right let's talk about abraham lincoln this is my last one in the 1830s, Lincoln spent about five years in New Salem, surrounded by a very uh, liberally religious group that were anti-Christian. It was here that he denounced the faith of his dad, who would at night weep over the scriptures and in the morning curse and beat him. Just so you know, Abraham Lincoln grew up in a very uh, uh, abusive home environment that, that claimed to be followers of Christ. And so when he came around this enlightened group, and there's a lot during this time that uh, Abraham talks about publicly following it, where they were quoting people like Payne, he began to have build a resentment against Christ, thinking like, if Jesus is real, then how could I have walked through what I walked through? And so during this time, he became a very devout atheist and angry against Christendom. 
And so a lot of times you will see things that he said during that time period quoted as being the establishment of what was his faith, okay? So uh, ultimately it was said that he was an angry atheist, and for a season this was true, but eventually Lincoln discovered Christ over religion. That was the epiphany that he had, is that he had to know Christ. In the midst of the Civil War, he said, it is the duty of nations as well and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord, quoting Psalm 33, 12. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own intoxicated with unbroken success we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace too proud to pray to the God that made us now I will argue that to fully appreciate Abraham Lincoln I believe we must hear from Frederick Douglass a man conceived by rape and born into slavery he would later escape to freedom by way of New York. Listen to what Douglas had to say. I was on the anti-slavery question, fully committed to the doctrine touching the pro-slavery character of the Constitution. So he says, I believe that the Constitution was a pro-slavery document. He said, I advocated this with pen and tongue according to the best of my ability. However, upon a latter reconsideration of the whole subject, I became convinced that the Constitution of the United States not only contained no guarantees in favor of slavery, but on the contrary, it is in its letter and spirit an anti-slavery instrument demanding the abolition of slavery as a condition of his own existence as the supreme law of the land. Now, here was a radical change in my opinions, but directly when I first escaped from slavery into contact with a class of abolitionists regarding the Constitution as a slave-holding instrument. Uh, now here, uh, now this is not strange that I assumed the Constitution to be just what their interpretation is. And this is how he follows it up. But I was now conducted to the conclusion that the Constitution of the United States was not designed to maintain and perpetuate a system of slavery, especially as not one word can be found in the Constitution to authorize such a belief. Now, Frederick Douglass would soon go to meet the President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, to become an advisor on the abolition movement. And listen to what he said. He says, as I approached and was introduced to him, he arose and extended his hand and bade me welcome. I at once felt myself in the presence of an honest man, one whom I could love, honor, and trust without re reserve or doubt. Now, I want to pause and just tell you that Frederick Douglass was not just a man who found freedom. He was not just an abolitionist, but he was a preacher who evangelized and went to churches sharing the gospel. He said, proceeding to tell him who I was and what I was doing, he promptly but kindly stopped me saying, I know who you are, Mr. Douglas. Mr. Soward has told me all about you. Sit down. I am glad to see you. 
Now, Lincoln was known to maintain integrity and good character, and Honest Abe became his nickname. In fact, honesty was so important to him that he once advised aspiring attorneys with this. I love this. He says, resolve to be honest at all events, and if in your own judgment you cannot be an honest lawyer, resolve to be honest without being a lawyer. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Now, after the war, on his final night at Ford's Theater, Lincoln turned to his wife and said, and these are in her words, you know, after the war, we will not go back to Springfield. We'll travel abroad. And he said, I should so much like to go visit Jerusalem. Go visit the Holy Land, he said. I would so much like to walk in the footsteps of the Master. And those were the last words he ever spoke. So while we do not... I idolize these men. We can't identify what made them the kinds of leaders that shaped the world around us today. And it was not that they quoted scripture. I want to make it very, very clear. You see, one can agree on the authority of scripture, but the authority of scripture is measured by submission to the scripture. These leaders, like those we find in scripture, were submitted to the authority of scripture. Now, the next little part of my message, I've entitled, Four Core Characteristics of Biblical Leaders. All right? All right? So these are things that I hold to in my life, and I wrote this up in a way that I hope it will stick and that you will remember. All right? So the first one is culture. If culture is saying it, it's probably not a God thing. Now, I didn't say it's definitely not a God thing, because there are times where the culture is in revival and serving the Lord, and we can see positive come out of it. But as a whole... We should slow, if culture is advocating for it, we should be asking questions, okay? Uh, look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. So she has two sons that are being invited to be disciples of Jesus. They're going to follow Christ. And their mom comes up and says, look, I get it. There are a lot of people that you're inviting to come and be a part of this. I want you to take my boys and set one at your right hand and one at your left. Now, Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. And he looks over at them. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. What was that cup, right? Well, we know that cup was the cup of suffering, right? The cup was going to be the cup of pouring out his blood on the cross, now, verse 23, he said to them, you will drink my cup, right? So you think you're able to do it? We're going to let you do that. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the culture of the world declares leadership as top-down, but Jesus says it's bottom-up. 
And so if culture is saying, hey guys, this is the way we're going, come on, you need to do it this way, I would argue that it's perfectly fine to slow down and say, well, what does Scripture say? Because Jesus tells us that the culture of the, uh, the leadership of the world around us is ultimately to enslave. And Jesus says, I came to be the slave. I came to serve. And that type of leadership is the type of leadership we need. The next thing that I would say is others. Remember others. I can't do for myself until I learn to do for others. This is 100% flipped on its head what we see today. You can't do anything good for others until you figure out how to do good for yourself. I'm going to argue that that is going back to culture. If culture's saying it, it may not be valid. And I want to make the argument that I can't do for myself until I learn to do for others. You know why that is? Because if I'm only doing for myself first, I will always do what's selfish. And I will not become a better person. I will become a better person when I learn how to put others before me. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what's eternally best for others is more important than what's best for me. I need to be concerned with what is eternally important to the people around me. So if it is an eternal matter, it should take priority. And if I really want to be a good leader, right, if I really want to lead people well, then I'm going to understand that I have to be in a place where I am willing to sacrifice. Jesus modeled this for us. The next one is receipts, receipts. Know your sources and don't shy away from truth. Okay, know what you're talking about. This is one of those things where it's like, yeah, I believe in the Bible, but, but do you know the scriptures? right? Do you know what it is that you believe? And the problem isn't that, that like you're necessarily building some bridge into an eternity you don't want to be in. The problem is that you look foolish when you are trying to have a conversation with somebody and you don't know what you're talking about. And you can do a lot of damage to a person who's considering Christ, and then you're saying things that don't make sense, that don't have biblical backing, and they're sitting there going, well, this doesn't seem to jive, right? Listen, the Word of God is truth. God is not the author of confusion. So bring your receipts, right? If you've made the purchase, show your receipt. It's not a, it's not a really complicated thing. Look here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. That's a pretty interesting thing, right? Let's look at what that means here, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irre uh, irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene among them are uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now, listen to this, okay? 
He gives this explanation. Who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, they are upsetting the faith of some. This is what he says. He says there is a group of people, they've looked at the scriptures, they've taken the word resurrection, and they've made a new definition for it. And now what have they done? They've created a quarrel because now people are arguing, and he says don't even waste your time. Don't waste your time getting hung up in what they want to say the word means. Look at the context of it. One of the reasons that we're able to understand what it was the founding fathers were saying is because the majority of them wrote thousands of letters, thousands of letters. And we have many of them preserved today. And you can go and look them up and you can actually read as they expound, right, in what it was that they were trying to communicate, right? So, so. It's the same thing here. Like, look at the heart of all that Paul has written, at all that the New Testament authors have written, and we begin to understand that we, we don't need to come in and take a word and redefine it so that it can feel comfortable and, and a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, accepting to the world around us. Allow the Word of God to be the Word of God. Know the Word of God. Bring receipts. It's the Word of God. I don't have to be the one that convinces you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. I have, to, I have to have the Holy Spirit at work in my life. The Holy Spirit has to do work in your life. So re redefining terms corrupts the intent of the author. This is true whether it's in Scripture. This is true whether it's in politics, policy. It doesn't matter. Redefining terms corrupts the intent of the author. And you've got to study and know what you're talking about. And then the E, the final one here, example. Lead by example. In other words, practice what you preach. I got to tell you, and, and maybe, maybe you've done this if you're a parent in here, right? And you just say to your kids, you know, uh, don't do what I do, do what I say, right? Or because I said so, you know what I'm saying? Now, because I said so can, can fall into a category like after a few conversations, right? So if you've got a really rebellious kid that you keep sitting down going, okay, let me tell you why the road is dangerous. You don't need to be in the road because there's cars coming down it and you just keep doing it. You can't get to a point where you're like, all right, because I said so. So I'm not telling you like as a disciplinary thing, your, your words don't have weight. What I'm saying is, is that you should be people who practice it, right? It's one thing to talk about serving. It's another thing to serve. It's, another, it's one thing to talk about loving your spouse. It's another thing to actually love them, right? We have a world that has a, 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 we have a culture around us that has historically always been about declaring the thing we want to be, but not practicing the thing we want to be, okay? Look here in John chapter 13, verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? So Jesus, they've come in, they're getting ready for their last uh, time gathering with him, and uh, their feet are dirty, and he goes and does what the servant typically does, which is washes everyone's feet. So Jesus is over here doing that. It's a whole other teaching in, in itself. But he finishes this, and he says, do you know what I have done? Okay? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am right? Okay. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Not if you declare them, not if you proclaim them, if you do them. Example, lead by example. Lead by example. The things you believe 
live them out. So Jesus tells his disciples at their last meal together, and I always say this, like anything that you're saying the last time you're gathering with people you have done a significant portion of life with, this is probably, you're going to say some really heartfelt and important things, right? That he is living a life of obedience as an example for them. Jesus says, I'm living the way I'm living to encourage you. It's an example for you. Did Jesus have to do that? No, Jesus didn't have to do that. Jesus could have called down a legion of angels to come and take him off of the cross, but he did not. Why? Because Jesus led by example. And at the end of the day, there's no snake oil for being a leader. You're not going to be able to go and pay a certain amount of money to some little uh, guru out there and, and be like, man, hey, at the end of this year, I'm going to be a leader. This person's going to make me. They've got the secret sauce to make me a leader. No, becoming a leader really is about gaining the identity of being a follower of Christ. And so the meanest and toughest personalities can build the largest churches and create the biggest mess. And I just say this because it is a reality and it's something that as, just like we see in the news right now, we can see that the narratives are really becoming more and more difficult to kind of get over on people because there's so many people with a cell phone videoing what's happening, right? So we are able to look at the evidence for ourselves. The same thing is happening in a lot of churches, and this is, not, this is not saying that every church that's really large falls into this category, right? But what we know, and, and I talk with pastors all the time, we know that, if, uh, it, that pastors that are bullies behind the scenes grow the biggest churches. The pastors with the, with the uh, reputations of just being total alpha male jerks behind the scenes, they always have the biggest churches, and they always create the biggest messes behind them, right? Now, Again, I have no issue with church growth. I have, there are plenty of humble leaders that pastor large churches. At the end of the day, right, the, the accomplishment that we at City Church are not trying to maintain or trying to get to is to be a mega church. Like we're not measuring success based on thousands of people showing up. We measure success based on are we preparing people for eternity and are we preparing a legacy to hand to the next generation. Those are two really important things here. And why are they important? Because we believe that they are a part of our biblical identity, right? As Christ followers, not just declaring the authority of Scripture, but being submitted to the authority of Scripture and not making excuses for why, well, that doesn't really apply to me. You know, I, I worked out this deal with God, right? You know, I got this thing on, you know, we, we met, we prayed. Can I, can I tell you right now, that was a one-way conversation, right? You walked into the room, knelt down, and you talked, and then you got up and said, good, I'm glad we had this conversation and walked out, right? Because here's the thing, God is not the author of confusion, his word stands true, and if you had taken time to listen and God had spoken, he would have said, no, I've already spoke on this, I've, I've already told you. I've, I've already, you, you know what, you need to go and get into the word because I've already established this thing for you. And so what does, at the end of the day, a real leader accomplish? He goes on in verse 18. He says, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. This is going back to Genesis, to the promise that there would be one that would come and try to crush the, the serpent, right? And Jesus says that the hill is being raised against me right now, right? Uh, it's ultimately going to come down onto the serpent. But he says, not all of you are going to understand this. So I get it. When I'm speaking, not everybody's listening. Why? Because some are angry at God. Some think they've got it figured out. But watch what he says here. He says, I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. 
And so what does a real leader do? What does a leader accomplish at the end of the day? They lead others to Christ. They lead others to Christ. And that, I believe, honestly, tomorrow, President's Day, one of the things that I'm proud of in this nation, and I do not idolize our nation, I believe that it could be taken away. I don't think that we're any better than any other people that have lived before us. So it could all fall apart tomorrow, right? It's not because, like, like, like people go, oh, well, God will never let that happen. It's like, well, that's a really difficult thing to say to people who have lost their entire families or their entire nations have been wiped out in history past, right, that all of a sudden, like, like we're better than, no? So I, I receive that we live in a, in a world that's broken with broken leaders that are making decisions. I get all of that, but I can stand and say, man, you know what, the, the things that we have today are because of really godly men and women that lived before us, and I believe they paved a way and made a way for us and our children to be able to have the lives they have here right now. And so I call it core. It is culture. If culture's saying it, I don't know that I would just jump right on the bandwagon. I'd be asking questions. Others, before I do something for me, I really need to be doing what's best for others. Receipts. Know what you're talking about. Know what it is that you're talking about. And example. Live a life by example. And before you can do any of this, you've got to know Jesus. You have got to know Jesus. And if you are in this place today and you do not know Jesus as Lord of your life, I can tell you right now that every struggle that you are having and the hopelessness you feel is all pointing to the fact that you need to know Jesus. Do you stop struggling when you know Jesus? No. But there is a hope and a joy that is inside of you. I'm telling you, it changes your perspective. It changes your perspective because there's a hope for eternity. I want to ask you to stand to your feet.